lift off and the clock has started. This is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Yes, that was Tom, and I am Doug Prazak. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Thank you very much for uh, listening. I always appreciate it. Um, Again, I know you have lots of places you can spend 20 minutes, but for some reason, you've chosen this particular time to waste 20 minutes, and I appreciate it. I'll do my best to to fill that time for you. And you know you can you can let me know if I'm successfully filling the, the 20 minutes that uh, you'll never get back. Uh, all you have to do you can send me an email, uh, a note. You go to uh, 20 minspodcast.com. Not minutes, but 20 minspodcast.com, and you can leave a message, uh, or you can uh, follow me on that uh, Instagram thing at 20 m y n g b. I always have to spell it out. I would just to spill it out. Twenty M Y N G B, and uh, you can you can follow uh, the the show there, and you can leave comments if you'd like. All right, this particular episode, kids, if you're under the age of twenty one, this is not for you. No, it's not not X rated. It's not racy. It's it involves spirits. You know, not not ghostly spirits. Spirits like in libations, like in um, okay, alcohol. <laughs> so this this episode is about alcohol uh, and a very specific brand. So uh, kids, if you're under 21, you should not consume alcohol. It's against the law, uh, at least here in California. I don't know about the rest of the world, but you shouldn't do it. All right, there. My that's my disclaimer. I'm I'm making sure you are aware that drinking is only for people over the age of 21, and a lot of times not for people over the age of 21. <laughs> So how did this uh, particular episode come to be? Well, I I saw a cartoon, and well, not a TV cartoon, not a motion picture. T- it, was, it was an illustration. In an illustration, there was a guy, um, and there was a jug next to him, and the jug had three X's on it. And, you know, historically, what that means is it was full of some sort of alcohol, and usually that alcohol is moonshine. And that got me thinking, you know, I, there's a brand of moonshine you can buy legally that's called Cat Daddy, and I cannot recommend that enough. It is so good. But anyway, uh, moonshine, that got to me thinking, how did all that come to be? There's a, there's a vague history we kind of seen from motion pictures, but I did a little bit of research, so you don't have to moonshine. And why those three X's? So let's start it with this. According to the Oxford English Dictionary, you know, I'm bringing some high class to the show. Moonshine is defined as, quote, whiskey or other strong alcoholic drinks made and sold illegally, end quote. Now, with that definition, it's kind of uh, confusing when you can walk into stores or Costco, for that matter, and find booze that's labeled moonshine. Well, part of the problem uh, lies with the lack of federal requirements for labeling something like moonshine. Now, unlike whiskey, which has to be made from grain, has to be distilled and bottled at a certain alcohol content and aged in oak, moonshine, or shine as we say, has no equivalent. Moonshine is kind of like vodka. It can be made from anything fermentable, fruit, sugar, grain, or or even milk. God. And like vodka, there's no upper limit on its alcohol content. Unless you want to describe it as white whiskey on the label, 
you can make it any way you please. So legally made alcohol that's labeled moonshine is technically all over the place. So those are the introductory notes. Now let's talk about the history of moonshine. Now there's got to be a pretty good reason to go to all the trouble of making moonshine. And actually there's been uh, several reasons, but they all boil down to one thing, the government control of the alcohol trade. The term moonshine has been around since the late 15th century, but it was first used in the 18th century in England. Moonshine started in England as a word to describe any work done at night by the light of the moon. Moonshining began very early in American history. In the years just before the American Revolution, a massive influx of Scotch-Irish migrants moved from the northern Irish counties to the English colonies of North America. Now, to colonial Americans, being Scotch-Irish wasn't much better than just being plain Irish, and I don't know what's wrong with that. It's ridiculous. But anyway, that's history. It was a plus for the immigrants that they were Protestant, but that didn't go too far in redeeming them as a group. Established colonists were reluctant to have them around, and as a result, the Scots settled on the edge of the English colonies in the isolation of the Appalachian Mountains. Shortly after the Revolution, the United States found itself struggling to pay the expense of fighting a long war. The solution was to place a federal tax on liquors and spirits. Way to go! Way to go! Tax it! The American people who had just fought a war to get out from under oppressive British taxes were not particularly pleased. So they decided to just keep on making their own whiskey, completely ignoring the federal tax. <laughs> there you go. That's the American spirit right there. For these early moonshiners, making and selling alcohol wasn't a hobby uh, or even a way to make cash. It was how they survived. At the time, farms with grain mills would distill their excess product so that it wouldn't spoil. Back then, whiskey was even used in some places as currency. <laughs> How do you make change with that? A shot glass? I don't know. Farmers could survive a bad year by turning their corn into profitable whiskey, and the extra income made a harsh frontier existence almost bearable. To them, paying tax meant that they wouldn't be able to feed their families. In 1791, the federal government tax on liquor was known as whiskey tax. For the next three years, distillers held off the tax collectors by, uh, let's just say, less than legal means, which brought a U.S. marshal to Pennsylvania to collect the taxes owed. All this resentment finally exploded in 1794 when several hundred angry citizens took over the city of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. President George Washington called for a gathering of militiamen under federal authority, 13,000 troops, dispersed the mob, and captured its leaders. This whiskey rebellion was the first major test of federal authority for the young government. Now, despite the failure of the rebellion, moonshining continued throughout the United States, especially in Kentucky, Virginia, and the Carolinas, and some other southern states. Excise taxes on alcohol didn't go away, so the moonshiners always had sort of an incentive to avoid the law. Gunfights between moonshiners and revenuers kind of became the stuff of legend in a lot of movies. Now, these battles escalated in the 1860s, uh, primarily because of the Civil War. The government knew the Civil War was going to cost a lot of money, and to offset the cost of the war, Congress established the Internal Revenue Service. Yay! 
They were tasked with collecting taxes on luxuries, including liquor and tobacco. The extremely high taxes were as much as eight times the cost of the liquor itself. Small distillers began hiding in the backwoods in order to avoid the taxes. The tactics of the moonshiners grew more desperate and, frankly, brutal. Uh, They were intimidating locals who might give away their locations of the stills, and they also attacked the IRS officials and their families. The production of moonshine still wasn't illegal. The illegal thing was not paying the taxes on the spirits. A whole bunch of people not paying taxes was the reason that active patrols kind of resumed in the Appalachian Mountains in the 1870s. Now, this is where modern uh, meaning of moonshine kind of took hold. With the federal government cracking down on illegal distribution of alcohol, distillers were made to, to sort of go nocturnal. Their activities were done in the light of the moon. Now, some people, not you guys, but some people erroneously think this is where the term moonshine was born. But not you listeners, because you know that the term really started in England a long time before that. In the early 1900s, states began passing laws that banned alcohol sales and consumption. In 1920, nationwide prohibition went into effect. This was actually the best thing that could have happened to the moonshiners. And the reason is because suddenly there was no legal alcohol available. The demand for moonshine shot up like a rocket. Moonshiners couldn't keep up with the demand, and that led to a lot cheaper sugar-based moonshine as well as watered-down moonshine. Yes, prohibition lowered the standards of quality as producers kind of concentrated on making larger amounts to meet the increased demand. This substandard moonshine was termed mean whiskey and could result in serious injury or even death. (laughs) God, I call it mean whiskey, all right? When Prohibition was repealed in 1933, the market for, let's just say, less than legal moonshine grew kind of thin. Now, although moonshine continued to be a problem for federal authorities into the 60s and 70s, today very few illegal alcohol cases are heard of the courts. So let's talk about the laws surrounding making moonshine. Now, despite all that's changed about moonshining in the last 200 years, one thing is still the same. It's illegal. But you're saying to yourself, hey, Doug, what about home-brewed beer and amateur winemaking? Didn't you make your own beer? Yes, yes, I did. But here's the difference. Amateur beer and winemaking were made legal in the 1970s, but they could only be done in small quantities. Home brewing is different activity from distilling alcohol, and distilling is still illegal in any amount. Okay, so you get it that you can't make moonshine at home, but why can you go into Costco and buy a bottle of moonshine? Well, again, it's all about the taxes. Large commercial distilleries, they can buy raw materials on such a large scale that even with the taxes they have to pay and the permits they have to pay, they still can turn a profit. But the bottom line is they pay their taxes. Now, it's legal to own a still. You can buy one online for less than $800. Not that I checked. (laughs) IRS, I did not check that. But if you want to produce any alcohol in your own still, even for your own personal consumption, you need to get permits, file a federal permit, and pay the federal tax, which is $15.50 on each gallon of whiskey you make. (laughs) Is it worth it? Or is it illegal? Your choice. Okay, you probably know way more about moonshining than you really wanted to. 
So we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, I'm going, to t- I'm going to tell you some more. You know, like, how does a still work? What's NASCAR have to do with moonshining? And what's with Mountain Dew? <laughs> don't, now you, I know I know you want to come back, so don't go away. We toast them crisp, we toast them light. You can tell by the taste, we toast them. They're a tasty treat, so good to eat. Delicious and light from toast them. And you know what? We like them. We like them. So you're probably saying to yourself, Doug, all that uh, 12 minutes of nonsense about whole moonshine history, um, you didn't answer the question about the triple X's. And more importantly, how do I make it? So uh, here we go. I'll, t- I'll tell you. Before we get started, let me say this. It is illegal to distill spirits at home. I am telling you this next part as a hypothetical walkthrough. I do not condone any illegal or illicit behavior and do not even think about holding me responsible for actions taken by you or any other individuals not acting with the parameters of the law. Did you hear that, IRS? I am not condoning this action. I am merely pointing out the scientific process involved in a still. There. Okay, scientifically speaking, making alcohol (laughs) revolves around two processes, fermentation and distillation. Fermentation is a chemical reaction that occurs when yeast breaks down the sugar. One result of that reaction is alcohol. Distillation is a process of evaporating the alcohol, which boils at a lower temperature than water and collects the steam and condenses it back into a liquid form. Here's a step-by-step process. One, corn is ground into a meal. Two, cornmeal is soaked in hot water in the still. Sometimes sugar is added. Traditional moonshiners add malt. Your choice. Three, the stone furnace beneath the still is brought to 172 degrees Fahrenheit. Four, not a, not a degree more. Four, the alcohol evaporates. As pressure builds in the still, alcohol steam is forced through a pipe that leads out the top of the still. Five, the steam travels in the worm, which is the coil length of pipe that winds down the inside of a worm box. The worm box is a crate or a barrel that has cold water usually diverted from a nearby creek, flowing to the top and out the bottom. This keeps the worm, you know the worm, that coiled thing you always see in every cartoon, keeps the worm bathed in constantly circulating cold water that condenses the alcohol steam into a liquid. A spouter hose leads from one end of the worm into a bucket through a filter. The result is a clear liquid ready to be illegally bottled and sold. That's, that's how a still works. Now, what about this NASCAR thing? Well, uh, let's uh, clarify something first. Moonshiners, they make the liquor, but bootleggers, they transport it. The term bootlegger originated in the 1880s when smugglers would hide flasks in their boot tops. Of course, when cars entered the picture, its meaning was expanded to include anyone who smuggled liquor. As soldiers returned home uh, armed with new mechanical skills following World War II, they quickly took on work in their communities as bootleggers. Not all of them, some of them. By modifying cars, these modern bootleggers were able to maximize how much moonshine they could transport, finding every nook and cranny in a car while developing the necessary driving skills required to evade the law. On their free days, the bootleggers would test their skills and races against one another. 
More than bragging rights, this ritual became the foundation of today's NASCAR. Naturally, it was a moonshiner that gave the founder and former bootlegger, Big Bill France, the seed money to start the organization. Today, Moonshine-based distillery Sugarlands Distilling Company houses the official spirit for NASCAR. So when you watch the Daytona 500 or any other NASCAR race, just imagine all those guys racing around the track, being followed by a bunch of revenuers with their red lights on top of their cars. <laughs> That's NASCAR for you. All right, I know you've been waiting for this part of the podcast, the whole triple X. Well, I mentioned at the beginning, I saw a cartoon with a, a, a moonshine guy with a jug with the X's on it, and I'm sure you've seen it too. You know, what I'm talk- you know exactly what I'm talking about. Well, those X's on that jug were actually kind of a labeling, if, if you will. <laughs> you know, uh, The X's indicated how many times a batch of moonshine had been run through the still. Now, before modern distilling techniques and equipment were created, moonshiners had to conduct three runs to get a higher pure alcohol content, usually well above 80%. And by the time a batch was really finished, it ended up in a jug marked with a triple X. That's right, early moonshine may have been distilled illegally, but that doesn't mean early distillers didn't care about the quality of the product they were making. (laughs) There was a lot of pride in operation that could put forth a quality spirit for their communities. That sentiment lives on in many modern and now legally concocted moonshines enjoyed today and is forever cemented as part of the moonshine history. And lastly, Mountain Dew. Now, you've probably tasted Mountain Dew at some point in your childhood or your adulthood or yesterday. But did you know that the bright yellow drink is named after the slang term uh, for mountain brewed moonshine. That's right. In 1932, brothers Barney and Allie Hartman, uh, they were a couple of legendary moonshiners. Well, the Hartman brothers created the lemon line drink as a whiskey chaser in Knoxville, Tennessee. According to the Smithsonian, the name Mountain Dew was selected to emphasize the intended use of their drink. It was underscored by the presence of the original brand mascot, Willie the Hillbilly, (laughs) and his tagline, quote, it'll tickle your innards. When Mountain Dew and uh, Willie the Hillbilly were purchased by PepsiCo in 1964, the distribution was expanded beyond Tennessee across the United States. The brand's association with moonshine may have evolved since then, but history lives on And I am certain there are a number of drinks you can mix with Mountain Dew. All right, that is going to do it for this wacky episode. Uh, And what have we learned today? Well, we learned that if you're doing any work at nighttime when the moon is out, uh, you're moonshining. (laughs) Moonshining. We learned that uh, moonshining is all about the taxes. If you like watching stock cars race around a track for a couple hours and get a checkered flag, you can uh, thank the moonshiners. And lastly, we learned you can buy a still online for about 800 bucks, but you're always remember that Doug said it's illegal. Don't blame me. That will do it for this episode. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, I'm going to go find my cat daddy and have a drink, and I will say I'll talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never get back. Bye-bye.
Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com. So it's 20minutespodcast.com. And uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed. And I'll, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.